Good morning again. It's great to be with you. And I'd invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 55 this morning. Isaiah chapter 55. And I've entitled the message, The Best Invitation of Your Life. And I have to admit that I was the worst, or I'm a terrible salesman actually. I was the worst uh, shoe salesman of all time. I had, um, was hired in my hometown, Hibbing, Minnesota, where I grew up, northern Minnesota, way up there close to Canada. I was hired at a shoe store, and my, my boss tried to teach me how to sell shoes, and I was just terrible. I, the time I worked there, I worked there about a month, and in a month, I sold absolutely zero pairs of shoes. Yeah, uh, zero. And the reason being, I think, is he, he would tell me, no, you have to be all enthusiastic about this. And so you, I'd see someone come in, and I'd look at their shoes and say, they look pretty good. I mean, why, why do they need more? You know, and that's not the kind of mentality. <clears throat> I just didn't have the urgency about it because to me, shoes, I mean, I, I know there are people who love shoes, but I just wear them, you know, um, in the sense that it's nice to have them on, but it, it isn't something that's so urgent. But when we look at our text this morning, we see truly that we're going to see an invitation that is urgent. We're going to see the best invitation and it's an invitation that God makes to us. And he makes it to us through the prophet Isaiah. And when we think about the ministry of Isaiah, you've been hearing sermons from Isaiah. You probably know that he ministered between the years 740 BC to 681 BC, more or less. And when I think about this book, I date it more or less to the year 700 before Christ as a good round number to think about this book. And we look at the book of Isaiah, and if you've read the whole book, I read it last year at the end of the year, and was thinking as I read it, what an emotional roller coaster. Because you read some of these oracles of judgment, and your spirit is just kind of goes down, right? As you read about the judgment that God is promising on the nations, on Israel, on these different areas, and then you almost get discouraged and God brings along a chapter of of great hope. And when we get here towards the end of the book here, we're going to see a number of chapters of great hope and chapter 55 is one of those chapters. I want to mention too, whoever picked out the music, that was wonderful because it, it goes exactly with what we're going to see here about this invitation. The prophet shares a message that, in, for, first of all, was for Israel. We have to keep that in mind when we read this prophecy, that there are a number of things that apply to Israel as a nation, but these are spiritual truths that we can apply to our lives as well as we look at the invitation. The invitation has not changed, and at the end of our message, we're going to see another part of the Bible that uses the same invitation. So read together, or listen as I read Uh, chapter 55 verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. We see here the invitation, the best invitation that God makes us. He makes us the best invitation we can imagine. He makes us an invitation that goes above and beyond our wildest dreams. And I think For some of you, if you're like me, I grew up in a good gospel preaching church and I heard this message so many times that I didn't 
at times stop to think about how amazing it is. I don't know if that, that maybe has ever happened to you, but we need to place ourselves in the position of someone who lived in Israel at that time. And as we look at this and think about someone who's thirsty, my wife and I had the privilege of going to Israel last year for our 20th anniversary. I am not very good at surprises, but I surprised her with that trip because we got to the airport and I said, do you know where we're going? And she had really didn't have an exact idea. And I said, we're going to Israel. And so we, it was a wonderful time uh, to go to Israel. And I learned a lot. I mean, when you go there, you're just soaking it in, right? Except for the jet lag, which kind of is difficult. But anyway, you're soaking it in. And you're, you're going along and you're seeing something. The thing that surprised me was that on Jerusalem is very green. It's a city that has a lot of vegetation. It's green. But if you go to the east of Jerusalem, over that mountain, on the other side, it's pure desert. And so you can imagine being an, an Israelite and knowing that region and knowing what it's like to be in a region where there's no water. In certain parts of the country, there literally is no water. And so when you think about that, come everyone who thirsts. We see there the importance of this invitation. We're going to see three reasons why it's the best invitation for you and for me. And the first reason we see it there in verse 1, it's because you receive what you could never pay for. You receive what you could never pay for. And it's striking what the prophet says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So we see here that it's an invitation that you receive for something that you could never pay for. And when we're talking about God, we're thinking about God, what he offers us, there is no way that we could ever pay for what he offers us. Because it's the gift of his grace. As we've been singing, his grace is his unmerited favor. It's something that he gives us that we never could deserve. And so we need to remember that as we think about this. And that, isn't that striking when he says, without money and without price? Come buy, but you don't have anything to buy with. So what is God trying to tell us here? Well, it helps to think about the context and realize in the book of Isaiah, we're going to see in a minute where or how he can give us that gift because he had to pay for that gift. But as we think of this, I wanted to just meditate for a minute a little bit more in that thirst aspect. This is Qumran off the Dead Sea, where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? And Holly and I were there in June of last year, and it was blazing hot. And I'm looking around, and there is not vegetation anywhere to be found. And the thirst that starts to, I mean, we had our water, but we were drinking constantly. Can you imagine being in that desert without any water, and then someone says to you, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And I like what one commentator, or the, the ESV study Bible actually says, thirst isn't a problem, but an opportunity. Because thirst, what is it? It's that desire for water. It's a God-given desire, which drives us to want to seek water. And when we think about our lives, our spiritual life, that thirst is the spiritual thirst that we have for something that goes beyond us, for salvation in Christ. 
And he is the only one who can satisfy that thirst. In Santa Marta, where we live, we've uh, experienced shortage of water also. Um, this is actually a photo I found online that was just taken last week. And I don't know why, but each furlough, the last two furloughs, last one and this one, our city there has gone through the worst drought ever again. And so they get to the point where they ration water and you get water in your house only twice per week. Can you imagine? It's not fun. Uh, but thankfully, we have a, a tank that we keep water in. But nonetheless, you're thinking a lot more about the value of water. And I think here where we have drinking fountains and, you know, there's water everywhere, sometimes it pours rain, we need to realize what it's like to think as a person who lived there, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. What a blessing it is to come to Christ and realize that he is the only one who can satisfy our needs and he does it without price. It's something that we could never earn, something that we could never pay for, but he gives us the water of life. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, or shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so we're looking for something in our lives, right? To fill that void that we have in our lives. We're looking for something to give us eternal satisfaction. And you can see, you can look around you and see people going after so many things. Uh, I think at times, for example, uh, going to a sporting sporting event. Sometimes we go to that, and people go to that. They love their sports team, which is fine, but they're looking to be a part of something greater than themselves. They're looking for something to give them meaning, and then maybe even your team wins the championship, and you go crazy for a day or two, and then what happens? The season is done, and it starts all over next year. (laughs) And so it's one of those things where people pour so much energy into these things, And they're seeking after something that satisfies, but Jesus Christ, as he says here, is the only one who truly satisfies that hunger and that thirst. And so I'd invite you, if you have not come to Christ, there's an invitation here, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He is the only one who is living water, the one who can satisfy your soul forever. And also, if you're already a believer, the temptation is at times for us to be seeking other things in our life. And we can often forget about Jesus, sadly. I mean, if, if we're coming to church, we're, that helps. But day by day, during the week, we can often get caught up in other things and not be thinking about Jesus and living for him in our lives. This, of course, is only possible because of what God has done through Christ. And it, it's amazing to think here that he offers this, he says, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And the reason that God offers this as a free gift, sometimes people think, oh, that's cheap grace. But what did Jesus have to suffer to give us that free gift? If you think about the context, look back at Isaiah 53. Because Isaiah 55, we need to keep in mind what God has already said in Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressor. We see here that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is the one who took upon him the punishment for our sins. And again, I think it's important that we think when we read this, iniquities, you know, it's a fancy word, but what does it mean? It means each and every sin that we've committed. The things that we do with our mind, the things that we do with our words, the way we act when we're selfish or when we're apathetic towards God or towards other people. And he had to die and pay the price for each one of those sins in his own body on the tree. Why? So that he could give us the gift of eternal life freely. Because he paid for it. He paid for it. And let's go back to Isaiah 55. Then we see there at the end of verse 1, Come by wine and milk without money and without price. And wine often in the Bible represents the joy that God gives us. The joy that, that fills your heart. Maybe things in your life aren't going that well, humanly speaking. But when you've come to Christ, you can understand that joy that only he gives. And the milk that satisfies. That's a, a food that speaks of satisfying deeply our every need, spiritually speaking. Now a question may come up here. If you look at this invitation, and I was meditating on this, why in the world, wouldn't anyone come if it's such a wonderful invitation? Why wouldn't everyone just be flocking to this invitation? Well, I think one of the reasons is that there are people who don't want to admit their thirst or their need because they, they don't see really what their need is because they haven't been confronted what, with what God's word says. The word of God confronts us where we're at and confronts our sin, confronts our idolatry, confronts things in our lives that oftentimes we don't want to admit. Like Jesus himself says that he's the light and people didn't want to come to him because their evil deeds would be exposed by the light, which is Christ. The other thing is that they often don't understand the provision that God has made. They don't understand what Jesus has done. They don't understand why we have Good Friday. To them, Good Friday sounds like a, a weird contradiction. How, how is it good if, if Jesus had to die? Well, it's good because of what he did on that Friday. And it's good because on Sunday, he rose again like we just celebrated. He rose again to give us this invitation and give us eternal life. We had one experience in Santa Marta where we were doing some couples events on, I think it was Friday nights, I forget, but we were doing some couples events where we were having, we were preparing a dinner and had one family prepare a dinner and have couples come out and then we were sharing the gospel. And the thing was going well, like often happens in Colombia when there's food involved, this thing, you know, goes well. And so one month we had 14 or 15 couples out and so we planned for a huge banquet for like 20 couples and only two showed up. 
And so we're looking, we had enough food for a small army, and we said, what are we going to do with all this food? And so God brought to our mind the, you know, where it says to go out to the highways and byways. So we literally walked into our neighborhood and started inviting people to a free meal. And it was really curious to watch people's faces. We're saying, come to our church and you can have a free meal. And, ah, no. Uh, I mean, they, they, there were excuses. Maybe people had already eaten something. Maybe they didn't want to have to go to a church to get the free meal. Or maybe they just didn't, they wanted to pay for it. Maybe. And I was thinking that that represents a way, the way a lot of people respond to the gospel, doesn't it? That when they hear about what Christ offers, in their mind they might think, well, but yeah, I would have to then go to church, or I would, you know, have to read the Bible, or I think I'm already pretty good, so I'm, I'm doing okay, thank you very much. And what is God doing? He's offering us something that we could never pay for. And so when we come to Christ, we need to realize that. We need to realize that the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. That's what God did. Propitiation means that he took that wrath upon himself and satisfied it so that God can accept us. Because he could never accept you and me the way we are. He could only accept us if we're united to Christ, Jesus Christ, by faith. We see also another verse, James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And that's something often people think, oh, I'm a religious person, I go to church, I help the poor, I am a good neighbor, I'm a good father, I'm a good grandfather, good grandmother, and I've done more good things than bad, and yet God's word confronts us and says, it doesn't matter. Because one sin disqualifies you. And so the only one who can save us is Jesus Christ. And that's why this invitation is so amazing. We could never pay. You and I could never pay for what God offers us. We've gone after idols, and what has God done? He's come after us to save us and to invite us to receive Jesus Christ. So we've seen that it's something you can never pay for. Look with me at verse 2 to see the second reason why it's the best invitation. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. We see here the second reason. Because you receive something of eternal value. And the question that the prophet asks here, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? That question, if you really sit down to think about it, confronts us, doesn't it? And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being involved in your life and you just get caught up in something. And that something can even be something good in and of itself. But the problem is you get so caught up in that that it's your whole life and it's what you're thinking about and God isn't even in the equation. Because the Bible teaches us about idolatry. The Bible teaches us that there are things that in and of themselves may even be good, but if they take the place of God, then God calls that an idol. That's a harsh word, isn't it? But we see here the question which causes us to think about that. And we see also that at the, in the second part of the verse, 
God gives us the contrast. Listen diligently to me and eat what, you, what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. We tend to be delighted in so many things that don't matter, eternally speaking. And we invest our time, our effort, and our emotions in so many things that at the end of the day don't have value eternally speaking. And so what the prophet is calling us to do is to look at our lives, to analyze what are you seeking after? What are you investing in? What's your life about? Do you even know? And as we think about that, we need to ask ourselves the question if, we're, if we've truly come to know Jesus Christ. And when we look at this, uh, I like what the commentary constable says. He says, it is ridiculous to spend one's hard-earned money for what does not satisfy. Yet that is what multitudes of people do when they pursue things of only temporal value. Of course, we know that in the midst of this life, there are a lot of things that we do that are temporal. But in all of those things, we need to be seeing how we can serve God in them. So, like in Colombia, when I teach on this, I tell people, don't, don't give up all your hobbies. The idea isn't to isolate yourself, but the idea is in everything that you're doing, in everything that you're investing in, make sure that the value is eternal. So, for example, if I have friends that have a hobby that I share with them, then God has placed me there to be his messenger. And so that is the way that all of our hobbies then can have value. All of these things that we do can have value because we're doing them for God. And we should enjoy the good things of life that he gives us, but for his glory and for his honor. We see that this theme is found throughout the Old Testament in the prophets. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And you think about that. When you go to Israel... You see, for example, this is Masada, which I remember on the tour, we were going to go to this place, and I was like, well, okay, it's going to be Masada. But when you get there, it's amazing. It's huge. It's this huge rock structure. And the most amazing thing to me about Masada, it's off the Dead Sea, are the cisterns that they created or that they built. These cisterns, it's a whole system. This is a huge, huge cistern that would be used to collect the water. And so there are actually canals that go along the edges of Masada. So whenever it rains, the water pours down the mountain and goes into these canals and then filters into these cisterns. And those cisterns would fill up. But what is the prophet saying about what they had done? They had built cisterns for themselves and cisterns that were broken. So can you imagine having supply of water for the whole year and then going down there and looking and seeing no it's all gone because there's a huge crack in it and God's saying that's what our idolatry is every time we seek after something other than God we're pouring our lives into a cistern that has a huge crack in it and the water's just going out and the neat thing about the verse is that it says why are you going after that when I'm the fountain of living waters why are you spending your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy when I am the living water? We see there, as I mentioned, the contrast, verse 2, at the, the second half, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. And of course, 
the prophet is talking about our relationship with God. The true delicacy is to know the Lord. Why? Because other things can give us a temporal satisfaction, but only the Lord satisfies eternally. And there are lots of things in life that are fun or enjoyable, but the only one who eternally satisfies is Jesus Christ. And so at the end of our lives, when we look back, how much of our lives have we invested for him and for his glory? And I was reminded of this truth with the fire at Notre Dame just, what was that, two weeks ago, that when you think about Paris and you think about an icon like that, in my mind when I heard that, I thought, what? That's something that's been there for like a thousand years and you think it's going to last forever and in one day it can be gone. In fact, I was reading about it, and in the news it said this, the church's roof, known as the forest because of its long planks of centuries-old wood, collapsed in the blaze and cannot be rebuilt in its original form. That's because France no longer has oak trees big enough to replace the ancient wooden beams that burned. And you think about something like that, and that tower represents anything that we're pouring our life into that doesn't have eternal value. It could be a religion. There are people who dedicate their lives to their religion. And they try to be the best at their religion that they can. And they pour their lives into it. And at the end of the day, it doesn't value anything because it wasn't done for God's glory. They didn't know Jesus Christ. There are other people who, maybe for them, um, they pour their lives into something else. And they think that they're going to make a difference. But truly, Jesus Christ is the only one who delights us with rich food, with something of eternal value. It makes us think about what James says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And in our day and age, most people don't want to think about the future that much. Or if they do, they surely don't want to think about the day when they die. Because who does? But when we think about that, there's wisdom in that because we can look back at our lives and say, or we can look at our lives now and say, what am I really satisfied in? What am I investing in? What am I looking for as my satisfaction whether in temporal things or eternal things. For that reason, it's so important to receive Christ and invest in things of eternal value. In Colombia, we have a phrase that people say, lo comido y lo bailado nadie te lo quita, which means that which, or what you've eaten and what you've danced, no one can take away. So in other words, live it up. You know, and in the culture there, it's something that fills our hearts with sadness. I often will go out running in the morning after a holiday, and at seven in the morning, you still see people out front of their houses drinking, and they often will stay up all night and through the, er- the morning drinking because they say, you know, if I, what I drink and what I've danced and what I've done, no one can take that away. But what a sad commentary to think about their lives, that they're just seeking the next pleasure. And in fact, I heard a girl once in the street, I was just overhearing a conversation, and she said, the only thing I live for is carnival. I could just die the rest of the year. 
And in Santa Marta Barranquilla, the carnival there is where people just go crazy and lose all their inhibitions and drink and do things they shouldn't do. And she was saying that's the only reason she, could, she was living. And it just filled me with sadness to think how many people are following the same thing. Now, maybe in our lives, it's not that, um, maybe it's not, it's more subtle, right? But there are so many things that we are tempted to go after, thinking that we have time, thinking that they will satisfy when it's only Jesus Christ who will satisfy. In fact, in Isaiah 22, 13, the same idea was there that let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And if there is no eternity, then that makes sense. But if there's eternity and God's word teaches that there is, then we need to come to him now and live for him while we have the chance. Look with me at verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. We see here the third reason why it's the best invitation you or I could ever receive and it's because you receive God himself. You see that several times throughout here. He says, come to me. He says, seek the Lord. It's not just talking about seeking benefits that come from the Lord, but it's talking about seeking the Lord and knowing the Lord. And you look here at the context. God is talking about Israel. He's talking about what he's done with, through David. And when you read there in verse 5, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. To whom is he speaking? Well, when I first was studying this, I didn't understand exactly, but you see there that if you look ahead to Isaiah 60, look with me to Isaiah 60, and it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising." Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come out from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. So we see there a future that Israel has. And of course, that future comes through the Messiah. He'll be the radiant one who will be reigning in Jerusalem. And through him, he will bless his people so that nations, as we, if we go back to chapter 55, verse 5, the nations will run to them. And it says there in verse 5, the middle, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So it's all connected to Jesus Christ. It's all connected to the Lord, connected to God, because we receive God himself when we come and accept this invitation. 
We are united by faith to Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful truth because it's not just some, something God gives you, but it's someone he gives us. He gives us his dear son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The people of Israel had a limited time because judgment was coming upon them, right? They had to repent and come to God. And the same thing is true for us, that we only have a limited time. And how sad it is to hear about people who say, yeah, I'll come someday when it's more convenient or when I have time. But we never know how much time we're given. And that's why it says, call upon him while he is near. He's making us an invitation, and we have the privilege of coming by faith to Jesus Christ. I mentioned in the ABF a a little bit about Rodolfo. He was able to go with us to Medellin to a conference. And he went with Alfredo and myself and one other gentleman from Bogota. And on the way back, we were going to have a layover in Bogota. It's a very short flight, like 30 minutes from Medellin to Bogota. And then we were going to have about a two or three hour layover. And so since this other brother and Alfredo are from the city, they said, we're going to go out and visit our family. And so Rodolfo and I just relaxed because we said, we don't have to look at our clocks or our watches. They'll, they'll be back. And when they get back, we'll know it's about time for our flight. Well, we got completely immersed in a, a great conversation about life, about the gospel, about his kids and all this. And all of a sudden, I receive a telephone call from my wife. John, you got to run because the plane's going to leave you. What had happened was they had switched the gate and we weren't even paying attention. We didn't notice. So we're sprinting through the airport trying to get to our gate. And right as we get there, the lady says, we just closed the door. You're out of luck. And I think many times in our lives, we think there's time. And we're busy, immersed in conversations, so to speak, immersed in other things in our lives, and, and that's driving us. And we think that there's time. Or maybe we think, maybe if we're, if we're already a believer, we can think of people that we need to be sharing the gospel with, that we need to be reaching. But in our mind, we say, well, there's always time. There's always time. And we forget what the word says when it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That time is limited, and we need to have that urgency both for ourselves and for others. Look with me at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible because it's talking about us as we truly are. Let the wicked, when we think about our lives compared to Jesus Christ, compared to our holy God, and we think about our lives, we have to admit that we have been wicked and we have forsaken his way. We are unrighteous in our thoughts. But the Bible says, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And it's such a blessing to be able to realize that that can apply to each one of us when we come to Jesus. I think there are two problems. Sometimes we don't take our sin seriously enough. 
We just, that maybe is the tendency of our, our modern era that we just gloss over our sins because we're better than some people. Uh, in Colombia, like when you think of Colombia, maybe the first thing you think about are drug lords, narco trafficking and all that. And you think in your mind, I'm better than those guys. Okay, humanly speaking, but when we look at our lives compared to God's law, when we look at our lives compared to Jesus Christ, we have to admit we are wicked and we are unrighteous. And that's why we need his abundant pardon, his abundant forgiveness. I think of the example of Paul. Acts 8.1 is an example, and Paul approved of his execution. You think about Saul. I read that wrong. Saul. <laughs> Saul approved of his execution. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, and he was approving of it. And in his life, he was thinking he was doing God's work. Acts 8.3, but Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Through this whole time, he was thinking he was serving God. He was completely passionate about it. He was fervent about it. He thought he was doing God's work. And yet, when he looks back at his life, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's what he says about his life because he realized that he was going against Jesus Christ. He realized what he was doing. He realized that he needed to be abundantly pardoned. And so I think this verse that helps us see if God can save Saul, who is killing Christians, who is persecuting the church, he can save anyone. And so we can think about our lives, our need for that salvation, and those around us as well, because God is willing to abundantly pardon. Why? Because Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, and went to that cross and paid for them, and now risen offers us this abundant pardon through him and through his name, through faith in his name. When we come to Christ by faith, we receive God himself. We're united to Christ by faith. And for that reason, God the Father can accept us. And that's why it's the best invitation of your life, the best invitation of my life. Now, I wanted to end with something. I, I was studying for this passage and had never noticed this. But we can see how important Isaiah 55 is. This invitation is so important because at the very end of the Bible, God offers the same invitation. Look at what it says there, Revelation 21, 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And then the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, 17 the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Do you think it's important? If God ends the Bible with the very same invitations that we're seeing here in Isaiah 55, and I think that should uh, impress upon us the importance of having this invitation in our heart, having accepted it, and offering it to other people as well. Because there, when it says the Spirit and the Bride say, it's that invitation that we can offer to others. You and I have the privilege. You have the privilege where you live, the family God's placed you in, 
the neighborhood you're in, the work that you're in, the people with whom you have contact, you have the privilege to give them this invitation faithfully through your life and through your words to tell them that the best invitation that they need to accept is that Jesus Christ is the water of life. He's the bread of life. He's the only one who can save them. And we also as believers, if you know him, we need to be feasting on him daily and never let, that, never let ourselves get distracted from that because so easily we get distracted. And I was, even I noticed on Good Friday, I was thinking, meditating during our service in Ames, meditating on how easily I get distracted. I can even get distracted in details in the Bible and Bible study and forget that that's about Jesus. But God wants us to come and feast on his son by faith and then live for him so that we can know him and make him known. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning with grateful hearts. You filled us up through this morning as we looked at your word, as we've sung praises to your name, to lift you up for your great love, for your great grace. And Lord, there's nothing we could give you to merit or to earn this salvation because we're sinners. We've sinned against you and we still sin against you, Father. We need your salvation through Jesus Christ every day of our lives. We thank you for him. We thank you that he went to that cross. We thank you that even though he had to die, Lord, and suffer so much, we thank you for what that meant. We thank you that he rose again victorious and is at your right hand seated on his throne, Lord, we praise you for him, and we thank you too that we can share this message with others. Lord, we pray that you would help us not be complacent, that you would help us to not be apathetic, that you would help us to see the urgency of this message, Lord. Help us never to get tired of the gospel message and what you have done for us, and to share that with others. In your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.